0: On R2C2, CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco guide listeners through everything going on in the MLB, NBA, and NFL. They also talk to friends, athletes, and celebrities about the world of
1: sports and much more. Check out
0: R2C2 with CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: It's New York, New York, presented by Fandle. Take a shot at betting the NBA with Fandle, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg help. Dot com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com.
0: When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com.
1: righty, Let's roll baby. Welcome in. Friday edition of New York, New York with yours truly, J.J. John Zastrzemski. We're right here on the Ringer Podcast Network, and not going to lie, I'm a little bummed out. I'm super disappointed that we are not reacting to game one of this make or break four-game series with the Yankees and the Red Sox because, unfortunately, COVID-19 had other plans. and you know, with the Delta variant that's going on. I'm not going to try to be a doctor. I'm not going to try to be a scientist or whatever, but you have the variant going on. You have this mix of guys who have been vaccinated, who haven't been vaccinated. So the Yankees had a bunch of positive tests. You have Aaron Judge in the protocol. You have Higgy in the protocol. You have Gio in the protocol. And Major League Baseball did not feel comfortable playing the game. You want to make sure everybody's okay. That is obviously the most important matter at hand. But it just goes to show you that even when you think we are completely done and completely out of the woods with a lot of this stuff, it finds a way to kind of creep back into everyday life. So, unfortunate, hopefully we will have some baseball this weekend. My fingers are crossed that we will. But you also have to wonder if indeed the Yankees and the Red Sox play on Friday night, play on Saturday, play on Sunday... What is the deal and who exactly is playing for the Yankees? I have no idea. All I can do is speculate based upon the information that we were presented here on Thursday. So no game Thursday. When you listen to this podcast, we might know come Friday whether or not they're playing. And I saw a lot of people on Twitter were up in arms about the idea that Garrett Cole wasn't pitching on Thursday or on Friday. Give me a break. The guy threw 129 pitches. And we talked about this in our Spotify green room, and we talked about this on the podcast Sunday night. You need Cole in both Red Sox series. If he is able to pitch Saturday, let's say Friday at Fenway Park, reasonable. And then in one of the games against Tampa, who the hell cares if he's pitching on Friday? or in this hypothetical world, Thursday, didn't matter. The idea that people were debating it and saying, oh, Cole's got to pitch the first game right out of the break. Shut up. Because you don't know what you're talking about. Anybody banging the drum on that narrative doesn't understand baseball. I'm sorry. I don't want to sound like a jerk. I don't want to sound like a better than. But you know what? I'm going to be a better than. Because I think that's just outrageous to even suggest. Oh, he's got to pitch Thursday. No, he doesn't. Get him in both Red Sox series. Get him against Tampa Bay and take it from there. Yes, you need Cole pitching as much as humanly possible in the second half of this year. You also need him in all of these pivotal series that you have coming up. And I know this is going to be a tired act. I know this is probably a theme you guys have heard way too much about. But know this. The Yankees season is on the line over the next two and a half weeks. Can't put it in simpler terms than that. Eight with Boston, three with Tampa. You're going to know where they stand. Yankees need to play winning baseball. And if the Yankees get buried here in these two weeks, we could be looking at a very long August and a whole lot of empty seats at Yankee Stadium. Now, for the Mets... They get ready for Pittsburgh coming up. Whole lot of trade rumors swirling around the Mets because of the fact that you have an owner that's willing to take on a boatload of payroll. That's why you've heard Chris Bryant's name brought up. That's why you've heard Jose Barrios linked with Josh Donaldson. You're going to play the Pirates this weekend. Adam Frazier is a very intriguing name. He was an all-star. Is had a terrific year. That would be an interesting fit for the Mets. I think the Mets are going to be okay from a starting pitching standpoint because of the fact that Carrasco and eventually Syndergaard are coming back. You want to get a guy in the short term? Great. I don't think it's a must. The key for the Mets in the second half of this year, are they going to be a far more consistent offensive team? And when I look at whether or not that's going to happen, in many ways, that kind of rests with Francisco Lindor. Alonso was hot over the week, week and a half leading into the All-Star break. I think Alonso is going to have a monster second half. I think guys like Conforto and McNeil, they can't be any worse than what they were in the first half. And I want to believe that is the case with Lindor, but Lindor has star-like potential. That's what he's been his entire career. Is Lindor going to give you one of those second halves where he flat-out beats? The answer to that question is yes. And the Met lineup really starts to click. They're going to run and hide with this division. If it does not, and it continues to be more of the same than what we saw in the first half, then you are walking this tightrope and you're dealing with this slippery slope where you could allow a team within this division, despite how flawed it may be, you might allow them to get back into the thick of this thing. And you don't want that. Trust me when I say this. You do not want that if you're a Mets fan. So Mets will play this weekend against the Pirates. Yankees against the Red Sox. Who the hell knows? Who the hell knows? Now, before we get to one of my favorite baseball people on the planet, and yes, someone who I've banged the drum for, and I wasn't going to make it awkward with Buck Showalter, who's going to join us in a little bit. I didn't want to get too, too awkward with him. I expressed my love for him. I think, I, I think he knew that. I think he got that sense, but I wasn't going to say, no, go manage the Yankees because then Buck is going to be in a tough spot and he's going to tell me to basically go after myself. So I-, I don't need that from Buck Showalter. He doesn't want to be making news, hearing about, oh, JJ wants him to manage the Yankees. I think anybody listening to this podcast knows I want him to manage the Yankees. Anyway, the NBA Finals have gotten quite interesting. And I got to admit, I might have been Six, seven, well, just keeping count. Amstel Lights Deep after the wonderful second annual J.J. Invitational that we had at Silver Lake Golf Course. I might have been feeling it when I was coming back watching the NBA Finals with the Bucs and the Suns. But when the Suns were up by about eight or nine points, it looked like Milwaukee was dead to rights. For Milwaukee to have that turnaround in the fourth quarter, and yes, I, I, I still cannot believe for the life of me The Booker foul at the end of the game, that they didn't call, that they didn't call. It was like, and Giannis got the putback. I'm like sitting there watching that game saying, are you kidding me? Are you serious? How in the world do you possibly miss this one? Neither here nor there. Some of those calls were mind boggling, but the brilliance of Chris Middleton, who is a very up and down all-star. Middleton has had some monster, monster games in this postseason. He has also had some games where you wonder where the hell he's been. First two games of this series against Phoenix, you wondered where in the world is Chris Middleton? Well, Middleton goes and gives you 40, 40 points, complementing what Giannis was able to do. And Giannis, maybe not as dominant as he was in game two and game three, but he's going to have the block that is going to be like the signature moment of this game four. And I know some were trying to compare it to the LeBron block What was it, against uh, Iguodala in 2016? Let's let's cool the Jets on that. That was Game 7 of the NBA Finals. This is Game 4 of the NBA Finals. But to me, the biggest shot in this game, as I think about it now, 24 hours after the fact, Pat Connaughton's story from the corner. And Connaughton, listen, he runs very hot and cold too. That was like the sort of pick-me-up Milwaukee desperately needed to kind of push him over the top here in this particular game. Now, the good news for Phoenix is this. Chris Paul can't play any worse. Paul was absolutely horrendous in game four. It's probably the worst game he's had in the postseason. 5-13, slipping. You hope that's not going to end up being the signature moment for Chris Paul here in this NBA Finals. Paul is going to play better, and Phoenix is going to play better as they return home. Phoenix only 7-23 of 23 from three. They're a much, much better shooting team than that. So far, home cooking has kind of told the tale of this NBA Finals. You finally got a really down-of-the-wire, fun, competitive game because the first three games of this series have kind of been blase. Phoenix are out, Phoenix are out, Milwaukee route. This was the first tight one, and we had that Milwaukee ticket minus the four and a half. I feel like I got away with one down eight or nine, going into the fourth quarter, rallying, winning, covering. We got ourselves a series, folks. The question is going to be, can Milwaukee take the performances of game three and game four and now travel, take them on the road, and win on the road? They won a game seven in Brooklyn. You give them credit for that. They won a game six in Atlanta. And I know Trey Young was hobbled, but no Giannis. You give them credit for that. Milwaukee wants to win a title. I mean, listen, this is not rocket science. This is obvious. Anybody listening is going to know this. Got to find a way to win. Playing away from what, whatever they're calling that place these days. What is it? The Deer Den? I don't even I don't even know what they're calling Milwaukee these days. They have the dopey graphic anytime I watch any of the games. And I forget. It really doesn't matter. We got ourselves a series. I'm fired up for game five on Saturday night. And I hope this is going to be a bowler sports weekend. Pray the Yankees play. NBA Finals. Life is good. Buck Showalter is going to join us. We got voicemails coming up. Maybe a couple of trickle downs from our Ask Me Anything the other night. A whole lot more to do. It's New York, New York right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. The terrific, terrific baseball man, the great Buck Showalter, is out next. Let's welcome in one of my favorite people in baseball. He managed the Yankees, managed the Diamondbacks, managed the Rangers, and turned around the Baltimore Orioles. Now he's killing it. He is an analyst. You see him on Yes. You see him on the MLB Network. The Great Buck Show author, Buck John Stremski. Thanks for doing this, my friend. How are you,
2: John? How are we doing? Happy summer to you. How's it going? All well, Star Break. Well, How's it doing treat okay? you? Okay.
1: We organized a hundred plus person golf outing yesterday. Benefit in the Boys and Girls Club, and I'm still in one piece after doing all that dirty work, my friend. So I I think if I can do that, I think I could tackle any challenge this summer, quite frankly.
2: Are you a good player?
1: No, I wish that I was. I've come close on a couple of home ones this year, but I I have a passion for golf, Buck. It does not mean that the results are are coming, my friend. Let me put it this way. If I was a part of your roster... I would be designated for assignment about 10 zillion times, but I'd keep coming back. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. we are gonna put you on a rehab.
1: Exactly. That's the idea. So before we get to the Yankees in the second half, they have coming up. I know you managed this guy in Baltimore. I thought it was one of the great stories of all-star weekend, seeing Trey Mancini after what he's gone through over the last year, compete, do his thing and, and put on a show for all of America to see. You managed this guy. What were the thoughts going through your head if you saw any of the clips and any of the uh, stuff going on in Colorado involving Trey?
2: Well, you know, there's certain things that you uh, you miss more than others along the way. And, you know, guys like Trey Mancini, you miss being around every day. Uh, everybody should feel comfortable pulling for, for him. And it's got nothing to do with, you know, the challenges he's faced and what he's overcome. Uh, he was that way the day we drafted him. And uh, he's a guy so easy to pull for. There's a great scene in the movie Brian's Song. You may be too young for that movie where Gail Saris is delivering eulogy at, uh, at Brian Piccolo's funeral. He said, you know, I just want everybody to know I love Brian Piccolo. I just wish you all could have known him like I did. It's something like that. But that, that's that's Trey. Trey is a guy that you can feel comfortable selling yourself to emotionally because, yeah, he's a real deal. There's, he's very sincere. Very uh, uh, open book, and uh, he cares. He's a good teammate. and uh, His mom and dad have got to be real proud of him, John.
1: Buck, as we get ready for the second half of the year, take me through a manager's perspective. If you have a starter like Cole, Saturday couldn't have been any better. It was so much fun to watch. It was a throwback. The Yankees needed the game. He throws 129 pitches, which you never see anymore. I, I mean, I miss those days, Buck. I miss those days to see the Star to go 125, 130. But as you get ready for this gigantic series against the Red Sox, do you have hesitation throwing him out there on Friday? Are you giving him a full week? How Take me through like the delicate balancing act of we got to win these games, but at the same time, we had somebody really push themselves in their last start. How would you go about that?
2: Yeah, I think you'll see Aaron. Probably, you know, you may know more than I do about where, where they're starting the second half. He could pitch uh, today on normal rest, but I think he's. You'll see him give him an extra day or so just to kind of restart the engine, because you know they know what life's like without Severino, without Kluber, without, and they 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 can't afford to lose him. And uh, you know, I found through the years, John, that some guys are just different. You throw out conventional uh, management of pitchers. Randy Johnson, after a while, I just, I knew he and Kurt Schoen were different guys. They were, they were just warming up about 90 pitches and really were, were it, so you gotta, every guy's different. Cole may be different, but you do, you know, the big thing is the increment jump. When you go from 100 pitches to 130, it, it's the ups, it's the intensity of that outing. Compared to something that may not be as intense, the tempo and rhythm. So I think you'll see Aaron give him an extra day or two to be on the safe side. Does that mean he doesn't get hurt the rest of the year? Does that mean that he would get hurt if he threw on normal rest? If you knew the answer to all those questions, it'd be ruling baseball right now because it is an inexact science. Anybody says they haven't figured it out, it's kidding themselves.
1: This Yankee team, it's make or break time for them, Buck, over the next couple weeks. They got eight with Boston, they got three with Tampa Bay couple games back in the wild card race. They're what? Eight games back in the American League East. You managed the team in 1995 that turned their season around. And the run that you went on in August and September was off the charts. You get Don Mattingly into the postseason for the first time. Was there a particular message you gave those guys, Buck? You had so many veterans on that team. You had a few young players on that team. What was the biggest key for you guys back then? in getting your season, not only back on track, but getting your season to a point where you guys kind of flipped the switch and got to a point where you found your way playing your best baseball at the end of the year?
2: Well, you know, I I think sooner or later you realize baseball, there's no Cinderella's. You play too many games. uh, Every strength and weakness is going to show up over a season and you are going to seek your level. You're going to seek your level. And. Uh, at that point, back in 95, we had a hangover from 94 that we had uh, this great team in 94, but we had nothing to show for it. In fact, 95, the only thing, they, that was the first year of the wild card, thank goodness. But um, I think it's just, I don't want to say one day at a time, but you just got to, they've got a great opportunity, John, because the teams that they're chasing, the teams in front of them are right there uh, in their ballpark or they're in their ballpark. I mean, you don't have to scoreboard watch or anything, you know, the past. You know the path to where they need to get, and, and in today's baseball world, you just want to get in. You know, you grind like heck for for seven or eight months to have a chance to roll the dice in October, and it is—it's who gets hot, you know, in October, and and here you go. So I think you'll see a a real sense of uh, intensity. Not that they didn't have it, but there's a finality about the season now, and, uh, and and you can see it. You know, they're they're approaching 100 games played, and there's a snowball time of the season. There's got there'll be periods where you're going to get it going and you're going to think you're not going to win, uh, lose another game and periods where you lose a couple and you think the sky is falling. So, and that's where the maturity and the leadership comes in, in your clubhouse. They keep reality, but, but reality is right in their face right now. You know, obviously, John, they got to get it going pretty consistently to to make a move.
1: They're going to make a move. Buck is it as simple as judge Stanton, Voight, the right-handed power that's up and down this lineup is, got to perform to the back of their baseball cards. Clearly, Judge has done that. Stanton's been okay when he's been on the field. Gleyber Torres, to me, if you're looking at one X factor, Buck, I'm trying to figure out what has happened to this guy. Two years ago, I thought he was the best player on the Yankees. I thought he was a stud. You know, we mentioned the bright stars in baseball, the Tatises, the Acunas, the Sotos. I, I was willing to put Gleyber Torres in that conversation. We haven't seen that guy over the last year. So, yeah, the Yankees need righty power, but I look at their second half, and I don't want to just pin it on one guy. I know it's not as simple as that. They need a better version of Gleyber Torres if they're chasing down these teams in the American League. Is that fair?
2: You know, John, I think that's fair. And, uh, you know, sometimes the weight of expectations becomes heavy for a young player. Sometimes we forget how young this young man is. And, uh, and that was the strength of the Yankees is they, they were no, there was no breathing room. And you've got Urshela hitting seventh instead of fourth and fifth, and you had... These guys I call them in those ambush spots in the batting order and the pitcher, you know, if you let down your guard, but they don't ha- they haven't had that that long strength of their batting order. But I still think it's gonna involve of them getting their pitching straightened out. Their bullpen gets back to you know, for the first month or two of the season there wasn't a better closer or bullpen than the Yankees had. And they've kind of because everything's kind of shuffled around, there's some uneasiness about, you know, who and when and, and how. So I think for that bullpen to get off to a good start in the second half there were as a manager you always want to get your bullpen off right in april and you also want to get your bullpen off right post all-star break after that break there were two times you really want to pick some spots to get everybody started right so i think you know if if severino keeps coming and at some point they might get kluber back uh, that's going to mean a lot to them and i think they got to improve and you talk about Defensively. You know, they got to be more consistent defensively than they've been the first half. And, you know, that's been a challenge for them. Some some things that don't always show up in the error column, too.
1: It's a great point. And obviously, you know a member of the Yankee bullpen very, very well in Zach Britton. You had him in Baltimore. Chapman, you nailed it. First two months of the year, he was unhittable. Last six weeks, he's been to the point where they've taken him out of the closer's role. Buck, you're managing this team do you put Chapman in situations right out of the gate where he's in those high leverage situations? They obviously have guys who can close. Brenton can do it. Green can do it. Lawazica can do it. Do you try to kind of ease Chapman back or do you come out of the all-star break and say, Hey big boy, you're making 80 plus million dollars over the next couple of years. Go show me what you made of." That's a tough spot for Aaron Boone.
2: Yeah. And, and Aaron will handle it. Well, um, and, Aaron knows a lot more about what he wants to do. I'm not considering trying to manage his bullpen, but I think at some point, you're to, whether it's the very first game of the year, if it presents itself, at some point for that to shake out and to have all the uh, pieces of the chain working correctly, uh, he's going to have to assume that role. But the good news for the Yankee fans is they do have people capable of doing it. If this guy just has continues to have issues, you know, it's not a tryout camp, and Aaron Boone's not going to sit there and just – uh, and let them lose baseball games, and so mentally deflate to to have that mentality of how much is enough late in the ball game, and uh, there's a real confidence you play in when you know after six innings you got nine outs to get that you you really like your chances. And he, he's able to spread the load around. Uh, he hasn't been able to spread the load around as much as he used to because you know he has, doesn't have the depth that you know he lost O'Day, he lost Britain. And they're having trouble with the uh, uh, Chapman, so. Now you're talking about Green and Elizaga, and you can't pitch them every night, John.
1: That is true. Now, thinking about your career, Buck, you managed some special teams. You had a special team in Baltimore. You had a damn good team in Arizona. And then, of course, 95, the run in many ways that started it off for the Yankees. You look back now on your managerial career. Do you have a favorite team that you managed over that time period?
2: Oh, probably a couple. You know, we had the, the biggest turnaround in baseball history, and in Arizona, that was gratifying for everybody in the organization. Being a second-year expansion club, but and there were a lot of trades that we made through the expansion draft. Our theory on the expansion draft was to draft players that we could trade for proven people. So we spent a lot of time gathering information from clubs of who they liked that was unprotected. Then we moved them for a Louis Gonzalez. You end up moving some of those pieces for Kurt Schilling. You know, I could go on and on, but. And we, you know, we used the expansion draft to get Matt Williams, but I think uh, the '94 team in uh, New York and the the 14, 2014 team in Baltimore, they were just baseball players. It was a piece team that nobody, both those teams, nobody was bigger than the sum of the parts. Everybody knew they had a part to play. You know, whether it be the long reliever, maybe maybe it was the utility infielder, the backup catcher. Everybody was on an even even playing field and uh, they all contributed and it was just about winning baseball games and they were so much fun to be around and just kind of stay out of their way. Once they got it, you knew you had the right people. You know, we spent as much time looking at, you know, adding a Jim Tomey to your clubhouse. And it was a very precious atmosphere that we didn't let just anything creep into. And I think a lot of people miss that. And when you're just trying to robotically evaluate players, instead of making those extra phone calls to the people that really know the Essence of what their makeup's all about, but it would—they were fun. Gosh, they, they they cared about each other, and they cared about winning, and they—they they treated the, the game of baseball well. And I thought that was good to see. I was disappointed in the number of guys that didn't show up at the All Star game, John. Quite frankly,
1: yeah, that bothered me too, Buck. Because I'm a guy who grew up loving the All Star game. The other sports, you kind of take it for what it is. I'm one of those guys that got suckered in from you know being a little kid starting in '96 in Philadelphia. You know, I think about Fenway Park and Ted Williams and all the craziness that year in 1999. And, you know, Buck, that means a lot to me as a baseball fan. I want the best of the best of the best to be there. And I get it. A guy like DeGrom, he might be heard, might be wanting to take care of some things. But I think you nailed it. You know, you want this game to grow. You want this game to matter to your fans throughout the game. That's the, the grand exhibition. I want to see you guys going to the game. So that didn't sit well with you, Buck, that a lot of guys decided not to go, huh?
2: Well, I understand if he went down one by one and tried to figure out why. But at some point, you know, the the first year uh, electees, so to speak, or selected guys, they'll go. But, you know, I've been to three or four. I'm not sure. I managed one. And that was back when the manager played a big role in selecting a team. That wasn't a whole lot of fun, I can tell you that. But uh, I just, uh, you know, it's The game itself is so important to our fan base. And I I just hope that everybody, especially as we're ending into a new basic agreement, understands that, you know, this is about the fans. This is about, you know, it's part of your responsibility, too, as a player. You know, physically, if you can't do it, you know, I understand. But, uh, you know, I remember we used to try to pitch our guys where they would be able to pitch in the All-Star game, you know, that last week of the season. Now I'm not so sure if it's just the opposite where they pitch in where they can't pitch in it, but you know, this isn't about take, take, take. Sometimes it's a give, give, give. And uh, I just, you know, it was a great, a great all-star game.
1: You see the changes that are going on in baseball, Buck. Does it bother you when you see, you know, the rules and in extra innings? And I know the commissioner was talking about it the other day, that they're going to do away with it. They're going to do away um, with the idea of the seven inning double header And, I think what bothers me more than anything, Buck, listen, the analytics obviously have a role. Don't get me wrong. They're an unbelievable resource. They're an unbelievable tool. You were talking about this a few minutes ago, bringing in a guy like Jim Tomei and, you know, the heartbeat and, and the feel and the chemistry and not letting your eyes deceive you from what you're seeing. You look around baseball. I feel like there are a lot of changes going away from that. Is that something that's very unsettling to you?
2: Not unsettling, you know. We we all confuse change with a lack of respect for tradition. Sometimes, you know, I kind of chuckled, John. We were using uh, analytics, sabermetric, whatever they want to call it, in ninety four ninety five.
1: You were ahead of the curve. <laughs> I, mean, I totally I, agree. I,
2: well, no, everybody was. You know, Tony Whitey. I mean, uh, Jim Leland. We we still chuckle that like it's something new. But obviously, they got different ways to present it. You know, everybody's got basically the same information. Depends on how you want to weight it. You know, which one you're going to make. More important, you know, our big thing was on base percentage and guys that took walks. When that was one of the big things with Gene Michael and I in '92, when we took over, is how much we were going to emphasize acquiring players. Obviously, they could play in New York and, and fit the makeup, but also guys who had a high on base percentage. And, you know, that's not like it's something new. I remember the Oakland A front office talking to me when they were interviewing me for that job when I had to leave New York. That was one of their big things, they were they were very enthralled by what Gene. And, and all of us had done to really emphasize on base. Percentage. But that's the story for the day. But, you know, it's just uh, – I think the biggest challenge we've got, John, is we've got to figure out a way. This is kind of oversimplifying it. All these things about the game, link the game, and this. And we just got to – the tempo and the rhythm of the game is what's important. Okay? And we got to figure out a way for the players to play faster. You know, if you're going to strike out, let's do it faster. Uh, that's the biggest change that's happened – you know, as far as the time of game and all the things going on is the players just don't play fast and the pitchers aren't going to have a problem. adjusting. I think the biggest adjustment, I know the commissioner, I've been on the competition committees and I know what goes on behind the scenes. And they've got to get the, the, uh, cooperation of the players association to understand our game needs to be played faster and not, not running around seeing how fast you can play. There's just a tempo and a rhythm of our game that we have to get back to. I don't know about you, but I don't make my mind up to go to a game because of who's, what your walk-up song is. You know, there, there's some point along the way, the game has to be played with a better tempo and rhythm.
1: Totally agree. And I'd like to see more action, more balls put in play, first to thirds, all that stuff I grew up watching. I mean, that's something to me, Buck, that I'm dying for here in the modern-day era in 2021. I got to ask you this question, not linking you to any individual job, but right now, I'm gonna miss you if you ever leave TV because I learn something new anytime I hear you in a broadcast. If somebody comes calling in the off season, Buck, are you done managing, or are you willing to listen?
2: Uh, you know, I'm very comfortable, John, talking about that because that that means that someone's lost their job, and I don't. I hope all 30 managers are back. I hope all 30 general managers are back. We know that's probably not a reality. The shelf life of managers and well, general managers are used a little longer because they put out this thing that they're on a four or five year plan. And John, how about how about where a guy comes out and says we're going to have to take a step back to rebuild this and we're not going to win for a while? Could you, could you imagine uh, saying that publicly? I, I don't understand no. how general managers no, talk no, about I could not, four, No, I cannot. When I see a guy talk, when I see a guy talk about a four or five year plan, I go, oh, somebody's trying to cover their butt. You know, just trying. You know, I got to Baltimore. We all said, "Listen, we're going to try to get better every day and do this as fast as we can do it." And when we get it, we're going to try to put something together that's sustainable. And If you do your, do it the way you're supposed to do it, it's sustainable. It's not a flash in the pan thing. And you know, payroll sometimes are an excuse that some of these clubs use. But anyway, oh, you got me off on a tangent. But I, uh, I just hope our game continues to. To go forward, we get some cooperation. I'm a little fearful about this basic agreement that's coming because there's some things that, ha- that need to be done with our game. And it's going to take cooperation by both parties saying what's best for our game. You know, what's best for our game? You know, what are, where are we going and how are we going to do it?
1: I think you're going to like this final one. It's a lot more fun. I know you're a Bama guy, Buck. Who are we buying stock in over the next five years? My dude, Tua, with the Miami Dolphins. Or Mac Jones, who you just saw win a national championship and is going to join forces with Belichick. Who would Buck show up there by stocking? You've seen him play a ton. Chua, Mac Jones. Who's it going to be, Buck?
2: That's a great question. You know, Mac has been a guy that's been able to stay on the field. That's one thing about him. He's It's like Brady has this, this ability as a hit is coming to slide to the side a little bit where they don't take it square on, front, blow. Tua has been hurt a lot, and and he he has a way of, and Mac's going to check down, and he's not going to put himself in harm's way as much. I love both of them, but uh, I love the fact that uh, Mac Jones is going into Belichick's system. I think it's going to fit him well, because it's very similar to what Saban's done. But, you know, back to your other question, uh, I got one more run in me. We'll see where it goes. If it doesn't happen, I'm perfectly comfortable and content with it.
1: Bunker, you the best. I love you, bud. Thanks so much for doing this, man. You meant a lot to my childhood with those 90s Yankee teams. So you're the guy who started it all. You and G. Michael in many ways. So I'll never forget that. Continued success. And uh, hopefully a lot of 2 touchdowns this year, okay?
2: I hear you. I hear you. I enjoyed being with you, John. Take care.
1: That's the great Buck Show author. We got a lot more to do. Coming right back.
2: If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy
1: fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip.
2: It was just a really long drive. ba At participating
1: McDonald's. Great stuff with Buck. And you can tell a couple of different things there from talking with him. Number one, he absolutely would manage if you gave him a call. I don't think there's any doubt. It's tough to get that out of him. The other thing I noticed with Buck is that the guy skipping the All Star game didn't sit well with him. And I gave Degrom a complete pass for not going because of the injuries he's had to deal with, because of the importance he's had going on. You know, with this met year and what they're trying to do. There are plenty of other guys who did not play in the home any uh, All Star game. Forget about the home run derby, but in the All Star game, yeah, that bothers me. I'm with Buck on that. I love watching the game. I want to see the best of the best out there. And when you're feeling great and you just say, screw it, I don't want to go, I think it sets a really bad precedent moving forward for guys to kind of follow a suit. You don't want that. You don't need that. Now, before we get to some voicemails, just so that Jock Peterson traded to the Atlanta Braves, the Braves need an outfielder. They lose Ronald Acuna for the year. Jock Peterson is not going to replace Ronald Acuna. Jock Peterson would have been a guy that maybe would have fit the New York Yankees. He could have fit the New York Yankees. Now, the Yankees are calling up Ambergie, who's hit great for them in the minor leagues. He's gotten called up. They're putting Park, who's also had a great year at AAA, lefty, middle infielder, he's gotten a whole lot of love on social media. They're putting him on the taxi squad. So I wonder, we're going to see these guys over the weekend. I think it's a very fluid situation, depending on, if, you know, what's going to go down, and what's going to take shape with who's eligible, who can play, who can't play. Good luck trying to figure all that out. Now, you want to leave a voicemail, and we'll have a loaded show on Sunday. I don't know yet when we're going to do a green room. I I will tell you this. If we do a green room, it will be Saturday night. Saturday night will be our green room if we're going to do one. I just don't know... If it's a lock yet, because if the Yankees and the Red Sox are not playing a game, we're not doing one. So think Saturday night for the green room, but we'll have our pot on Sunday, of course. 917 382 1151. That's where you leave a voicemail. Keep it simple. Try to keep it classy. I know Anthony and Syosset went off the rails. And let me tell you, you want to talk about a polarizing response. I had about 70% of the tweets coming my way calling that maybe the greatest call in the history of New York, New York. And then I heard a few complaints, not only on social media, but my buddy who I play golf with had his four-year-old daughter in the car listening as Anthony and Syosset was going off. That's where you got to get the earplugs. So sometimes with the voicemails, you never know what you're going to get. Speaking of which, let's fire away. What do we got, Saruti?
3: Hey, hey, JJ, this is Jesse from Santa Cruz. I just finished watching the... Suns, Bucks, game four. Um, I got some money on the Suns, so I was a little disappointed. That was a game I think they had. They kind of, kind of let it slip away, but the Bucks did what they had to do. Um, but man, the game itself, I mean, you look at it, anyone who has to say the human element of the game needs to stay and, you know, anti replay, I feel like this was their ultimate game, right? I mean, the whistle was all over the place. Uh, there was almost no replay review. The game flowed. And I got to say, I was actually you know, pretty satisfied with it from an entertainment standpoint. I didn't really know exactly what I was watching the entire time. But, um, I mean, the human element was definitely there. I was going to call you earlier in the postseason and get your opinion um, and ask about the flopping and what your thoughts are. And I feel like this is an appropriate time given the game we just watched. Um, you know, I think there needs to be some added rules against flopping. I think there needs to be some improvement of what we're seeing because, um, or at least some additional enforcement because um, this is, this is getting kind of crazy, man. I mean, we have expert floppers on the court who know when's the best time to, to get floppy. When's the best time to lobby for calls, uh, how to flop in the right situations, running into people and bouncing off like a, like a bowling pin. I mean, the, the, the game's getting a little out of control. Um, and it's not entertaining to watch, um, a a guy intentionally run into someone and throw their arms up or, you know, grab their face, whatever it may be. Um, so, you know, floppings an art, lobbyings an art, guys are getting more athletic, stronger, faster. I just, I just think it's, it's a tough job for the refs. Um, and and I just want to know your thoughts. Do you think this is something that the league should try and, try and crack down on, improve the flopping of the league? All right. Thanks,
4: JJ.
1: Bye. Well, I think you're going to see the league try and do that. The problem is it's not easy to do. You mentioned guys like Harden and Trey Young and Curry and how skilled they are at that particular art. That is super, super, super tough to officiate. And your first point, it's interesting because when it comes to obvious calls, and you want to have a safety net for which if they are screwed up, you have the opportunity to correct them and change them. From that standpoint, I have always been in favor of some form of replay. Has it gotten to a point of extreme where it has completely killed the flow and the rhythm and the feel of a whole lot of games? The answer to that question is yes. It is a resounding yes. There are some reviews that are completely unnecessary. They're unnecessary. Important calls, I want them right. I want to give these guys and gals who are doing a very, very difficult job. Listen, the officiating drives me to drink and makes me nuts. It is not easy. Go try and ref a high school game or a CYO game. First of all, you gotta be in decent enough shape to go up and down the court. Second of all, the game moves so fast. These guys are so strong. They know how to sell a call. It's not easy. Guy frames the pitch and moves it by a half second. You know, it's it's tough. It's very, very tough. Having that sort of flow and feel to a game is important. And game four, yeah, there were plenty of ball calls. Was it an entertaining watch? Absolutely. By far and away, the most entertaining game we've had. In the NBA Finals up to this point. And my hope is we got a couple more coming up. I'll save the pick for Game 5 that's coming up momentarily. And we finally have gotten hot here in these NBA Finals. Three out of four. The only game we've gotten wrong so far was Game 2. We went Phoenix and then Milwaukee for the last three. Stay tuned for the pick in Game 5. Who's up next?
4: Hey, what's up, JJ? It's Mike from Stanford. Uh, I love the um, the Ask You Anything Segment that you did this past week, or this past episode, and I actually just had like two questions that I was really hoping you could answer. So the first one is, what jerseys do you have? Um, do you have any like cool, like nice, authentic ones, replica, whatever? I, to, I wanna I want to hear about your jersey collection. And uh, secondly, um, I know you're into running, and I've been running. I've been trying to get out and run like every day for the past two months. I'm really trying to like keep it going and get better. Do you have any advice on like getting better at running, being able to like run farther, faster? Um, yeah, let me know. I really appreciate uh, some insight because I know you mentioned at one point that you ran in high school, and uh, so, so you must be uh, quite a good runner. So I'd love to hear some advice, man. Um, go next, baby! Um, and I love the, I love it. I love the podcast. Thanks, so much, JJ.
1: I appreciate that, bro. I would not say that I am the guy qualified and advised to give tips on how to run properly. Now, I ran high school and cross country. I got away from running. I got into weights. Obviously, it shows with how jacked I am. I mean, my goodness. I mean, I look like Rusillo, for goodness sakes. I mean, Rusillo would get me in the gym. He'd be like, what the hell is wrong with this guy? We got to get him to gain 20 to 25 pounds. If only we could look as jacked as Rusillo. But anyway, I got into running when my gym closed. COVID hit. Couldn't go. We had nothing to do. We had nothing to watch. So I got back into running. And it was a slow progression. Like, I started, I ran a mile. Then maybe I ran a mile and a half. Then I remember it became like a month in. An achievement if I got to two. Then I was able to get to three. You got to keep at it. Now, I run three days a week. That's enough for me. I don't need to run five, six days a week. My body can't handle it. The other days, I play golf. That's my physical exercise. And I like being active. I'm not one of these guys that wants to sit around all day. I like being active. I run and I golf. It's good for my mental health. It's good for my sanity. I need it. We all have our vices. Running and golf, not bad vices. Just saying. Just saying. But I would say if you're looking to run, keep running. Haste yourself, too. Don't. Basically, come out of the gate, guns a-blazing. You're not going to maintain. Ease into your pacing. As far as the jerseys, you know, I was talking about this with somebody the other day. When I was in high school, college, so my high school years were what? 2002 to 2006. And my college years, I was accused from 2006 to 2010. Jerseys were Everything. Like, I was an avid jersey guy. Not just with Yankees and Dolphins and Knicks. I had a Matt Hasselback jersey. I had a Ben Roethlisberger jersey. Uh, I would say the coolest non-Yankee Dolphin jersey I own. And I still have it. I haven't worn it probably in about 10 years, but I do own it. I have a 2001 Torrey Hunter jersey Minnesota Twins jersey has the American League 100th anniversary patch. It's just, it is a sharp, fabulous-looking jersey. Still have it. Like, anytime, and I have it at my parents' house, my mom is looking to donate stuff. She's like, can I get rid of any of these jerseys? I'm adamant. No, don't touch. Don't be touching that stuff. Am I going to wear it? Who the hell knows? I love my Tua jersey that I have now. I have the uh, throwback Miami Dolphins jersey, which should be the permanent jersey. Don't get me started on that. It's annoying that it's not. Who's up next? JJ, it's Adam Oklahoma.
4: One thing that's been driving me nuts is this Aaron Boone-Garrett Cole mound visit in the uh, ninth inning of Saturday night against the Astros. Why are so many people saying that Aaron Boone planned this, and it was some artistic mound visit to fire Garrett Cole up like he was pulling the perfect manager strings. He's not Alex Cora. We've been, we've been roasting this guy all season for being the worst manager that any of us have ever seen, but all of a sudden he's some brilliant gamesman that knows how to pull the right strings for the first time in his entire life especially after we watched the next night with the pathetic decision to leave Herman in the game for the night. Why are we suddenly giving this guy credit for something that he clearly doesn't have the managerial capacity to do?
1: Thanks. I'm actually going to give Aaron Boone credit for Saturday. And it has nothing to do with the mound visit, which to me is a whole lot to do about nothing. And Garrett Cole gave him the business and there was no way in the world, once you committed and once you went down the rabbit hole of letting Cole start the ninth inning, With the game on the line, you can't take him out. When you decide that he's finishing that game, he's finishing that game, by hook or by crook. Boone keeping and Cole in the ninth inning was the right call. Do I think it's some stroke of genius that he went out there and got barked at by Garrett Cole for about a minute? No. Anybody who's giving Aaron Boone credit for pulling the right string or pushing the right button, no. Give him credit for letting him pitch in the ninth inning, The mound visit and the sort of Zen-like quality. No, 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 no. Nonsense. This is a big second half for Aaron Boone. I don't think he's the guy to lead the Yankees moving forward. I understand the critique that Brian Cashman is calling a lot of the shots and that Brian Cashman should be held accountable if you're going to change your manager. That's fine. And this roster is flawed. You're going to see the difference in the manager again this weekend and next weekend comparing Aaron Boone to Alex Cora. That to me is when that contrast feels super painful and super obvious to watch for anybody who's paying attention. Last but not least, here on this Friday show. Surudy, fire away.
4: Yo, what up, JJ? Charlie in Elmhurst, and Elmhurst, number with side, uh, Elmhurst. So Yankee go you know, being a postponed. I hope you uh and I do hope you do this, uh ask me any question, uh boy Hope you take it, but uh, the, the last podcast guy asked you a favorite Scorsese movie, and the part is one of them. Well, what is your top five Martin Scorsese movies? In my mind, oh well, Scor- Martin Scorsese is one of my one of the greatest modern directors of all time, and I love him. And my top five is The Wolf of Wall Street, uh, Gangs of New York, Raging Bull, Goodfellas. I just saw yesterday, second time. Perfect. Fantastic. And no matter what, number one is the departed. What's yours? Thanks. Thanks, JJ.
1: Charlie, normally when you're calling my shows back on the radio and now here in podcast world over at the Ringer, I expect you to be talking Yankee baseball. So when I get a question from Charlie that is not New York Yankee related, it throws me for a little bit of a loop. But I have to say, my friend, that is a fantastic, fantastic question. And it's something, quite frankly that I have never thought of. So I'm going to do it on the spot, and I do reserve the right to change my mind. So I am pulling up the movie Rolodex because I don't want to forget anything with Marty Scorsese because, listen, I can tell you, for me at least, Goodfellas is going to be my number one movie on the list. Goodfellas and Departed are going to be one and two. Okay? Goodfellas won. Pesci, De Niro, Leota. The storyline, it's one of those movies, and I talk about this all the time, I can watch Goodfellas no matter when it's on. I'm scrolling through tonight. After we do the pod, there's no sports going on. I'm trying to find something to watch. Kate is Betty by, sound asleep. Goodfellas is on, I'm watching the movie. I can't say that about a whole lot of other films, including The Godfather, which I love. Godfather is iconic, it's different though. I would put Departed on that list. Would I put Gangs in New York? I don't know. Daniel Day-Lewis steals the show in that movie. Casino is on that list. The top three right now for me. Fellas, Departed, Casino. I'm going to put one, two, and three there. I am also going to put Raging Bull there. I think Raging Bull was... Vintage De Niro, it's gritty, it's tough. It's an awesome movie. Color of Money's a good one. Could put the Color Money on that list. I could put the Wolf of Wall Street on that list. That's more a personal choice, if we're being honest. I don't think Wolf of Wall Street holds up compared to some of those other movies. Like, I know the movie critic out there is going to be mocking that idea because they're going to be like, JJ, you kidding me? You're not putting taxi driver up there. You're not putting gangs in New York up there. You're not putting mean streets up there. I'm not. My fifth one, I'm going to have a little fun. Because it's so off the wall. It's so zany. Belfort. I should have been doing that at the golf outing yesterday. Maybe that'll be the way we fire everybody up next year. I like that list. And again, that's subject to change. Good fellas? Departed Casino Raging Bull And yeah, why not? Wolf of Wall Street So coming up next, we'll welcome in One of the rising stars In New York sports media And she's had a terrific, terrific career She was killing it with my sister At an all-star weekend in Colorado And we'll see if I actually get her name right Michelle Margot Over at SNY is up next
4: This episode is brought to you by State Farm
1: So we go from Buck Showalter to welcoming in one of my favorite people. She has been on the team at SNY, I want to say for like the last year and a half. It might be two years. She can correct me uh, if I'm off base a little bit here. And she was just killing the all-star weekend festivities in Colorado. Michelle Margot. What's up, Michelle? Michelle.
0: Hi, JJ. First of all, I know better than to correct you. so um, You whatever. can correct
1: me. Listen, I, I I actually called you Maria a few weeks ago, so I was expecting you to bust my chops for that right out of the gate, quite frankly.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I like didn't sleep that night because it hurt my feelings so much. But I was
1: know. Like, I, was, I, w- I was such a terrible, terrible human being. I actually felt terrible about it. If anybody was going to sleep over, it was going to be me, not you, just saying.
0: When Maria <laughs> and I anchor together on SNY, we both get tongue twisted when we have to say, like, I'm Michelle Margot, that's Marie Marino. Like we always accidentally like say the other well, person.
1: And for what it's worth, the next time we do a TV appearance, it's going to be MM and MM between the two of you because that yeah. way I will never screw it up. Even if I was wanting to reference Maria with Michelle or Michelle with Maria, I say MM, we're good, right?
0: Well, I did notice that you tweeted at her the other day and you said MM. And I was like, that offends me because he also calls me MM. And now I'm seeing him call Maria MM and I'm getting territorial over the nickname MM.
1: Wow, okay. But it's like the M&Ms, right? Like one could be the red one, one could be the yellow one. Like, you know, there's, yeah. there's some, uh, y- you guys can share the nickname, it's okay.
0: Take it, I'll take I mean, she she's the OG MM at SNY, so.
1: I understand that, totally fair. Now, you just got back from Colorado. Uh, you've covered a few, was this your first all-star game experience or no?
0: So this is my first time traveling for an all-star game. Um, In 2016, the all-star game was in San Diego and I happened to be covering the Padres for work. So um, I was already here. I was living in San Diego. So um, this was my first time traveling to one, if that makes sense. So I would go home and sleep in my own bed uh, in 2016. And this time was a little bit different because, you know, you can't go home without seeing 50 other people in the lobby. So it just, it never stops. It was like winter meetings.
1: Well, and I was jealous. I had some serious FOMO between your Instagram story, my sister's Instagram story, the great Steve Peralt, who's a buddy of the show. So not bad. First one covering for SNY. you got Tywan Walker, who was all decked out in his gear. He looked fabulous. And then Alonzo, is it fair to say, Michelle, that from your standpoint, covering the event, the coolest thing you did over the week was watching Pete Alonzo hit all those dingers?
0: Um... Was that the most exciting part? Probably, but unfortunately, I wasn't even actually watching it live. I was watching it um, from a room with it on the TV. So, oh, it,
1: because you had to get you had to get ready for all your work this yeah. time. You knew Pete's in there. I got to watch it from one of these like yeah like media rooms yeah. or whatever. Exactly. But was Pete like from talking to him? Was he as, like? It, it seemed like he was as geeked out as ever by winning this event. Like he was super super proud of it. You could tell.
0: Yeah, he was, I I don't want to say, I mean, confidence, I guess, a fine word to describe it, but all day, I mean, he knew he was going to win. And I'm like, man, like you can't talk that big of a game. Like you just can't do that because if you lose and it looks bad on you and to, you know, to, to not, I wouldn't say it was to my surprise, but um, you know, I I was wrong. He, he did win and he very much dominated. So he all day, I mean, we did one-on-ones before, you know, at the media availability and stuff like that. And all day he was, he just kept saying like, I'm, I know I'm going to win. I know I'm going to win. I, you know, and then afterwards he kept saying that he was the best power hitter in the world. So I think it was almost like this, like Kobe Bryant mentality of his, but um, yeah, he was geeked out during it. I mean, you could see he was like, his head was bopping like in between.
1: Yeah. He had the music going. He tried to like tie in the New York rappers, which we respect. Although I'm a little angry at you and my sister, because if you guys knew about this sort of, swag and confidence with pete alonzo i might actually won my home run derby pool and i actually might have profited off of this like my sister texted me she goes i watched batting practice i would have known i would alonzo was gonna win i said well thanks you know i'm not there you could have shared this information i could have made a couple of bucks off of it so you and my sister i'm lumping into the same category of not Uh sharing some friendly information just saying
0: so, well, first of all, can I just say how much I love Caroline? I know you have another well, sister she is, uh, she,
1: you can see how we have some similarities between the two of us. We're all out there. Very know. much,
0: very much. Yeah. She, she, it was so funny because she kept using words um, like, oh yeah, and then we pulled up, like she kept using these words and then she kept, afterwards she would say them, she's like, I don't know why I keep saying that. Like, she, it was like, she was like, so amped to be there it was so funny she she's just so cute and she was kicked
1: out michelle you know like they're first time all-stars and it's like their experience like they're so happy to be there that was like yeah, caroline that was like her first and i've never been to an all-star game where i'm covering it but i could tell like she was kind of soaking it all in so she was a rookie in many ways this, this star rookie you know
0: as she should have been. As she should have been. She, I mean, she also did a really good job with with her uh, her coverage. Like, I went back and watched it, and she did a really good job. She's talented.
1: She's got a lot of info. She's got a lot of insight. So now you've been covering the Mets. This year, first year, really getting the access because of everything that went down with COVID. Is there one takeaway you have from being around that team? Obviously, they've exceeded a lot of expectations because of the injuries. They're in first place. The Grom's having this insane all-world special season. But, like, from your opportunities to be around the Mets, is there one particular takeaway you have spending time with that team?
0: I would say um, it's not necessarily a takeaway. It's more like my curiosity. I want to know how they have – we always talk about the resilience. The Mets are so resilient. You know, people keep getting hurt, and then guys come up, and the bench mob, et cetera, et cetera. But – to build chemistry that quickly with new guys on the team is really hard. Guys who have been like had the same core guys in the lineup forever, those teams usually end up winning a World Series because they have chemistry and whatnot. But Mets are winning and they have all these new guys coming out, like, okay, we signed this guy, got, you know, got this guy from from waivers. Okay, this guy's getting called out from AAA. And then they just keep winning games. And so to me, it's it's not a takeaway more so than just. How the heck are they doing it? Like, what's the secret? How are they, How are they? you know, molding this team like
1: that? Well, you've covered a lot of teams, right? Like, you did the Rockets. You did the Padres. You referenced. Could you tell, as a sideline reporter, this team has, like, a good vibe and chemistry about them? Like, you're not, you're there every day. But there are some times you can be in the locker room or in the clubhouse and are other times where, all right, they're having that moment and you guys and gals are not there because you know, you're working, you're doing your job. But when you're covering a team, do you know, like right out of the gate, all right, these guys have like a feel and a chemistry about them. And other times you're like, eh, not so much. You can tell, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know what comes first, the chicken or the egg, because losing teams, obviously like the, the morale in the clubhouse is pretty overall low. Um, but I always say it starts from the top, like, you know, based on how the coaches are based on how the front office is being based on how the owner is like, you know, whether a team's going to win. I, I think a lot of it is manager based. I think a lot of it, um, I mean, obviously talent is important, but MLB is not a superstar driven league the way the NBA is, you know, James Harden can go to any team and make that team significantly better. Chris Paul's doing it right now. He did it with OKC, like, you know, that's what happens. But MLB, you can put Mike Trout on any team. It doesn't necessarily mean that team's obviously going to go. So um, I think it's all about culture and chemistry. I really do. And yeah, you can tell. I mean, you can tell based on how guys are. I mean, if they're hugging in the dugout after versus like, if they're just kind of selfishly wanting stats for themselves.
1: Okay. Do you have a favorite team? And all your years of doing, you know, sideline reporting, like cover covering the team, the storylines, your job. I'm not going to say just the guys on the team and what they necessarily gave you or didn't give you for that matter. But you know, Michelle, you're going to work every day. You're like, wow, like I really enjoy being around this particular team. Who would it be?
0: So City doesn't
1: matter? Uh, I-, that- I mean, listen, obviously... You're living in a place that's far more appealing. Like, I- I'll say it for you. I'm not going to get you into trouble. I'd much rather spend my summer and year in San Diego than I would in Houston, Texas. Like, I- I- I'm going to own that. Like, yes, I would yeah. enjoy myself and my overall well-being a lot more. So, I yeah, I'll throw that in there. That's fair.
0: Okay. Because city- city-wise, I mean, San Diego's second to none. Um, but... I loved I loved being with the Rays because I got to go to all of the ALE stadiums in Toronto. It's my favorite ever. Um, really? Was,
1: you like Toronto more than Fenway? Yeah. Is that yeah, because... I'm,
0: from a stadium standpoint, I mean, Roger Center's fine, but Toronto, the city, is so cool.
1: I've never been. Believe it or not, I've never... I've done so many Yankee road trips over the years. I've never done uh, yeah. Roger Center. And I would... If I go, I'm going to get the hotel that's like right there. So like when I roll out of bed, I can like roll down the shades. I'll be like, oh, they're taking batting practice. This is cool.
0: In the outfield. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, And also Tampa Bay, I was with Tampa Bay in 2018 when they implemented the opener. Like no one had ever done that before. And so um, it was cool to see kind of like, it was kind of cool to be there for history. And then same with the Rockets. I was there for James Harden's, you know, arguably one of his best years And so I, I loved being there for that. I mean, this is all selfish. This is all like, Ooh, I got to have a front row seat, you know? Um, none of those teams made it to a finals or a world series. So, um, hopefully this year will be my favorite because the Mets will make it.
1: Look at you already thinking ahead. Um, you get a chance to do a lot of different cool stuff. You've done anchoring, you've done sideline work. Uh, you get to spend time with me, which is probably not one of your career highlights, but that's okay. Do you have a favorite? I always like to ask, like, I love doing my platform now. I did radio for years. Now I have my pod, which I love doing. It's awesome, but I love doing TV. So it's tough for me to pick one, but I'll ask, cause that's my job. Do you have a favorite? Anchoring, reporting, doing whatever? Like, is there one that kind of stands out?
0: So from an ego standpoint, because we all like to feel important, I like covering teams that people care about. That's important because you feel like your job actually has purpose. Um, But I would say from a non-ego standpoint and just genuinely like person to person enjoying like building relationships. When I was with the Padres, I co-produced and hosted a show, a weekly show where I would just take a player out every week and we would do something fun. So if the player liked to go fishing, I would take a player fishing and we would film it and um, it would be the show that week. And so we got to do all sorts of cool things. We took Will Myers and an F-18 up on the military base. Um, so, I mean, those things are way more fun um, from a standpoint of just getting to know who these players are off the field because I think a lot of times it gets lost that athletes are people and not you know, just for show. So I like that human side of it, but I really like to do a little bit of everything. I, it's hard to commit to just one thing, you know?
1: You like the versatility. I totally get it. I can attest. I feel the exact same way. Do you have a favorite sport?
0: Baseball, through and through.
1: Baseball, through and through. through so and you through. enjoy, if you, if you had the opportunity, baseball, uh, dugout access, all that stuff, NBA access, it's baseball by a mile.
0: Um. Yes, probably because... Um. That you know, you you love what you know, and that's that was my very first like love. You know,
1: I feel the same way <laughs> I, because I grew up with the '90s Yankees, so you know they won every year. Derek Cheater, Bernie Williams, Paul O'Neill—very easy call for me. Final one, and I got to ask because I want to know how it's going. My game is a disaster, and I know some people get annoyed when I start talking golf on the podcast, so it gives me actually more incentive to piss people off because that's what I love to do. Michelle has a very smooth and a very nice golf swing. I've seen it on Instagram. It's not as choppy and as chaotic as my lefty swing, which is a little off the beaten path. When's the last time you've been uh, hitting the sticks, Michelle?
0: JJ, I've always thought you were a very honest person until you made no, that. No,
1: I score. actually think the swing is quite good. I'm, I'm, now, I don't know if the execution is good. I'm just saying <laughs> the, like, form looks, it looks like, and I've never seen you, I've never played with you. Yeah. But it looks like you know what you're doing. Just so I,
0: I, again, I know better than to correct you, but I would say from experience, the execution is better than the, the technique, the mechanics. Um, what was the question? Am I good? Am I not good? No.
1: When's the last time you played? That's, that's oh. I mean, nobody's good. I mean, unless I have a not scratch right. handicapper coming on the show, nobody's good.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Um, the last time I played played around maybe sometime last year during quarantine, honestly, I mean, during wow. quarantine. Wow. I yeah. know you've
1: been busy oh. with work. You're slacking on that. Hello, I know. You're slacking. That,
0: that's the one, the one drawback of living in the Northeast is there's a very small window of the year that you get to play golf. And in San Diego, or you know, well, it's twelve months a
1: year. That that's why in, in in another lifetime, or whenever the career comes to a close, Michelle, I will live someone somewhere like San Diego or Arizona or Florida, twelve months a year. So that is something I will be able to do. But there are a lot of great courses in the Northeast. We still have about four to five months of quality weather. So okay. I will end this on this particular note before the end of the year. I expect you out on a golf course somewhere in the Tri-State area. Just saying.
0: Will you go with me? Because That's,
1: I don't think... You, you, you have me at your word. So we okay. will set up the date. We will make it happen. And you just can't beat me. That's the only thing. I'm not allowed to I won't you beat now. you. I won't beat you. But
0: it'll be interesting to test your patience. You know, how many balls uh, I lose.
1: Listen, leave. it'll be very easy. I, I'll stay out there all day. Uh, the, uh, the beer's cold. That's all I need to know. <laughs> the beers are cold, then we can stay out there uh, all day, all night, does not matter. Listen, thank you so much for doing this continued success, and uh, uh, you, you're away this weekend, so you will not be spending any time with me on Geico Sports Night. That's unfortunate.
0: No, but next week I will, and I expect you to know my name next
1: week, okay? Yeah, we'll see. I can't promise <laughs> Thank that. you That's so much Thanks, Michelle. Bye, JJ. So before we say goodbye, game five of the NBA Finals Saturday night, and three out of four have been kind to us. We want to keep those good vibes rolling. Phoenix opened at three and a half. It has immediately gone up to four. Phoenix is a different team when they play on their home court. I know Giannis has gotten going physically. I know Middleton had a monster game four. I think you will get a completely different Chris Paul. I think you will get a completely different Suns team. A Suns team that shot it terribly on the road in Milwaukee. Mark my words on this. They will shoot the three ball a lot better Guys three through eight throughout the rotation will play a lot better. And I'm going to be hopping over to our FanDuel Sportsbook app immediately. And I am hopping on the Phoenix Suns, laying the four and taking a 3-2 lead back to Milwaukee for a game six. Now, Jeff Money, we'll see if it's family play or if it's heads up mano-a-mano like it was in game three. Jeff Money, the floor is yours, buddy. What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a
3: handicapper picks. It's going to be for Saturday the 17th for NBA Action Game 5. I'm going to roll again with the Phoenix Suns minus the four. This time they'll be home. I think they're going to, if they win, they're going to cover. That's going to be my play, the Phoenix Suns minus the four. The question, will it be a family play? All right, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go.
1: It will be a family play. you got to love that, Jeff Money. When we are riding together, there's usually a whole lot of magic. I think we will have some magic on Saturday night. Now, what is our programming agenda for the weekend? It's kind of up in the air. If the Yankees and the Red Sox play Saturday night, we'll hop on Spotify Green Room, and i will be great because we'll have Green Room stuff for the baseball, Green Room stuff for the finals. I'll be rocking, I'll be cooking. I might have a beverage or two because I will be off the clock and we'll take it from there. Sunday, right after the Yankees Red Sox, hopefully. Right after all the Mets stuff over the weekend with the Pirates, we're firing with our normal pod. Probably will drop early Monday morning. Fellas, outstanding job. JJ out. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. Hopefully, the tables down in Atlantic City will treat me a lot better than the golf course did on Thursday. Be good.